0: Today, as I'm recording this, uh, it is sunny outside. It looks like a clear blue sky, but then tomorrow a big winter storm is coming to the Northeast. They're telling us to expect anywhere around 12 inches of snow. So you know all the people here are out at the stores grabbing their essentials, the milk, bread, eggs, always those things. so it's, it's fun <laughs> to kind of find this calm before the storm and to see beauty anywhere. So for those of you listening, make sure that you take some time today just to find a moment of beauty, even in the breath that you have right now. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So we're going to continue our month with Rumi, and uh, today's episode, I've chosen this poem that I hadn't seen in a while, but I totally love. It's called The Guest House. The Guest House. This being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival. Be grateful for whoever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. Hmm. This is one of my favorite poems by Rumi uh, because it's a reminder that we are spirit beings having a human experience. And so if we think about our human bodies, our humanness as a guest house and all of our experiences are the guests, then we can stand true in our divine essence while we experience these things. Now, that probably is like, what did you just say? So what I mean by that is, imagine we run a guest house, okay? And then there's a, a knock at the door and it's joy. Hello, joy, come on in. You know, joy comes on in and... Uh, we welcome joy with open arms, hugs, ki- air kisses, you know. Here's your room. I'll show you to your room. We've got breakfast at 8. And if you need anything, just holler. You know, maybe we're running a little B&B. <laughs> and then the, the, there's a knock at the door again, the front door. There's a knock. And it's depression. Now, what Hafez is saying in this poem is that we can invite depression in just as we greeted joy. Hug depression, say, Hey, depression, how are you? Come on in. We're so glad to see you. We've got your room ready. Breakfast at eight. Come on in. And so, in thinking about this analogy, what Rumi is saying here. Is, is a teaching that I'd love to return to again and again, is that when we can embrace all of the experiences, we can evolve. We can become more in tune with our spirit selves and we can really solidify that connection because it's so easy in this world to get caught up in our ego that's fixated on material things material wealth material status material everything right and that's not the point of us being here the point of us being here is to have these experiences that help us get closer to our most divine self um, and so why why do we want to do that why do we want to be that why do we want to evolve you know and that that's a question sometimes people want to know it's like you know what's the point you know, we're here. We, if you believe in reincarnation, we get incarnated. It's like, you know, I learned my lessons from last life. Why am I here still? You know, where do I go after this? Is this just a lifetime of incarnation after incarnation? Maybe. Depends if you le- learn your lessons or not, right? So for me, what I what I think, because, you know, there are some folks who are like, what's the end game? I need to know now. So for me, what I, what I do is um, have this idea of the end game being me as essence a spirit soul merging with the divine light now yes we all have divine light within ourselves this is true but merging with source the source of our light you know the analogy that um, is often used that I hear in, in yoga communities is that we are the rays of the Sun but we are not the Sun right we have the Sun's energy We are of the sun, but we are not the sun itself. And so, what I imagine the end game to be is that we live through a lifetime or many lifetimes, and in each lifetime, we learn lessons that uh, will help us evolve. You know, so for example, in this lifetime, my awareness has expanded my awareness of self, my awareness of I am not the body, I'm not the mind, I'm something spirit, I'm something divine. And that is probably a lesson I didn't learn in my previous lifetime. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here. Maybe I'd be merged with the sun, you know. So that's what I'm thinking about as far as, you know, what's the end game? And I don't like to think about end games, really. Um, But I do know that it's useful in thinking about our spiritual journeys because when we go on a trip, we don't just buy a plane ticket anywhere. Like the airline needs to know where you're going, right? You need a destination. If you put, if you use your GPS, right, you get in the car and you, you want to go somewhere, you got to put in a destination. Otherwise, you're just going to sit in that same spot and wait for somebody else to tell you where to go. I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't sound so fun. Like what if they want to go snowboarding, and you really hate the snow, and you would rather go drive down to Florida and be on a beach somewhere, right? So you need to, you need to have some kind of destination. So for me, you know, this destination, like of merging with the the divine, with the sun, we'll say, is, uh, it's just like a placeholder for me to, to have a general direction of my path of my spiritual path. And so it's useful. So you can ask yourself, you know, what is your version of the end game? You know, it doesn't have to be the, what I'm saying. What do you feel in your heart to be the thing that you're working towards, that you're you're traveling on this path towards, towards what? What is it? And, it, and know that it can always change. It can always evolve, right? So the guest house is this life now, and we've got all of these experiences coming in. And I love what Rumi says about even if they're a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture, like welcome them and entertain them. Even if it's like, you know, like a crowd of depressing looking kids, you know, they all wear black and I'm totally stereotyping, by the way. And they got like their hair combed down in front of their face. They're wearing like heavy eyeliner And just all around sad, you know, and they're just they come in and they're like, dude, (laughs) I entertain myself. I know. So what, you know, what if they come in and they come in with all this sad energy and this negative energy and you're like, oh, I don't want that in my house. But no, Rumi's saying, bring them in, welcome them in, because the sorrow is there to teach you how to be in that experience and how to evolve from that experience. So being in that sorrow, it's like, okay, I'm in the sorrow, I'm in the sorrow. So feel it, feel it, let it run through your body, but don't sit with it. Don't like let it sit there and don't cling on to it and all that other stuff. It's just going to fester and weigh you down. It's not really going to teach you the lesson that, you know, you're supposed to be learning. So welcome that, right? Because what that sorrow might be doing is inviting you to sweep your house empty of its furniture for example you know both the literal house and the metaphorical one you know so for example you know let's say somebody in your life passes away and you're like oh my god I can't believe this person's no longer here no longer living I, I feel like I am in my grief I'm experiencing it but also and this happens with a lot of people what am I doing with my life? I'm going to look around my house, my literal house and my figurative house. What, what's, what's going on here now? Okay, I'm looking at my physical house. There's a lot of clutter in here. Why? I, I don't need this stuff. Do I need this stuff? I don't think I need this stuff. What happens in that moment of losing someone to death is that suddenly your life gets emphasized you are living you are still alive and what are you going to do about it you know so then you start taking inventory of all the things in your life both in terms of the physical house like look I got this couch that's been hanging out in this corner collecting dust do I really need that taking up space in my house no let's clear it out you know and then there's also the metaphorical one where it's like okay I've been friends with this person for like 50 years why they're not really, like, we're sort of in touch, but but not really. Every time they call, I, I don't want to answer the phone. Every time they call, they complain and it just brings me down. Do I need to be friends with them still? No, you don't. You can choose who furnishes your house. And sometimes we forget that. So who's going to furnish your house? Who gets to be in your circle? Who gets to be part of your life? You can decide that. But sometimes we need other experiences for us to wake up to that. So when sorrow comes knocking at your door, open the door. Welcome in that crowd of depressed teenagers with their hair combed over their face with heavy makeup and sadness all around them. Welcome them in. Invite them to sit on the couch by the fire. Bring them hot cocoa. Maybe a peppermint marshmallow. And then see what them being there does. Because they're not going to stay forever. If there's one thing that we can rely on, it's change, right? And this year has taught us that. Change is constant. Change is unpredictable. It's unknown. And only now has it come to the forefront for most people. It's always been this way. It's just people, you know, were under this illusion that there were guaranteed things. Jobs were guaranteed. Health is guaranteed. All these things we take for granted, right? And this year has taught us that no, not the case. Life is always unpredictable. Nothing is promised. And so sorrow might be sitting in your living room by the fire, drinking hot cocoa with a peppermint marshmallow. And you might be thinking, all right, I'm doing what Rumi said. You know, I'm I'm welcoming them in. Uh, I've invited them. I'm entertaining them. I gave them hot cocoa. I'm starting to feel kind of sad too. Is this this how it's going to be? Are they just going to, are they going to set up shop here? Are they going to stay here? Because I really don't want them to stay here. But if you can embrace them, and understand that they're there to help you grow then once you learn whatever it is you need to learn from them they will move on they will finish their hot cocoa they will say thank you because they're not rude these teenagers they will say thank you they will appreciate your hospitality and maybe they'll pull their hair away from their face just to look you in the eye as they say thank you. And then they'll move on their way. They may take some furniture with you, you know, because you didn't need it anymore. They're helping you clear out some stuff. So let them. Because, and this is what happens in the next lines of the poem, he will say they, the sorrows, maybe clearing you out for some new delight now how can anything new come into your life if you've saturated it so much with an accumulation of things over the years you know like let's let's think about that closet that a lot of us have both literal and figurative where we just shove things in there it's like, oh, people are coming over. Okay, quick, hide all the clutter in the closet. This this upstairs closet that nobody ever uses. Just shove the papers in there. Shove the the random stuffed animals, the toys that nobody like plays with, the games that are half broken, missing pieces. Just shove it all in the closet. We, we got guests coming over. Let's you know, let's tidy up a little bit. The fastest way to tidy it up is just shove it in the closet. Okay, so we shoved it all in the closet. Great. Just talking about that makes me feel like, oh, I just want to empty that closet. I want to get a big like dumpster container and just empty that closet in there. Um, So, yeah. okay. so we did that right now. If you don't clear it out, you can't fit more stuff in there. You know, that closet is only so big. So how are we supposed to allow for abundance and... Blessings to come into our lives if we've packed everything up to the gills. You know, like think about that closet. Maybe that closet could be organized into something that houses art supplies. You know, beautiful shelving, organizational canisters for pens and markers and paintbrushes. Instead of like a bunch of broken puzzle pieces jammed in there with old Cheeto wrappers, (laughs) you know, like that doesn't feel good at all. So clear it out and let the guests who come into our house help you do that so that you can create space, not just to breathe, not just to unload the heaviness of whatever, you know, useless furniture is hanging out. But to also permit for new, fresh things to come in. Fresh blessings. You know, I just think about how lately I've been doing a lot of purging of clutter, you know, because clutter is a manifestation of the mind where the mind doesn't feel safe and what the mind does is in order to feel safe it builds up physical boundaries you know stacks of books stacks of papers stacks of folded laundry that's not put away you know there is a comfort visually for some myself included in seeing stuff around us it makes us feel safe too much open space feels scary for some open space is like oh wait you know some something unfamiliar might come into these spaces some danger might come in you know that's all subconscious stuff right so what if you could clear that out how amazing would you feel I'm telling you it feels amazing so what I've been doing has little by little I've been sort of thinning out my closet my wardrobe and I'm like, yeah, that's not, that's not my personality anymore. That's not me. You know, I don't, I don't do that look or whatever. But what is interesting that I'm noticing is that as I fill my bags, donation bags of clothes, um, I'm starting to find clothes that really resonate with me and not on purpose. You know, I didn't go like, oh, what's the look? I don't even know what I want to dress anymore. Like I know this is not it, but I don't even know what kind of clothes I like anymore. So I don't know how to go out and look for it because I don't know what I like. But one, one day I was out in, um, in Sedona, Arizona and um, was like, all right, I'm just gonna kind of like wander forth. And uh, my, my friend and mentor and I happened upon this cute store that I absolutely loved, found all the clothes that spoke to me and who I am now. And I bought so much stuff there that I, I, like a whole new wardrobe. It was amazing. And I love it. And the thing is, I don't think I would have found that place if I had not done some purging. Because I created space for the new stuff to come in. And how cool is that? So think about your guests in your house as people who have come bearing gifts, gifts that are lessons for your life, lessons for how to respond to the things that are going on right now, whether it's in your life or in the world or, you know, anything. You have the power to choose how to respond to things that are not within your control. The only thing you have in control of is your response to things, your mindset, right? So the dark thought, the shame, the malice that Rumi mentions, invite them in. He specifically says, meet them at the door laughing. Now, I don't know if I could do that. Maybe I could be like, hey, so great to see you, shame. Come on in. It's been so long. I mean, that would be an interesting experiment because then the relationship with shame can shift. And that sounds really cool because shame is not very useful in terms of um, sitting with it and repeatedly experiencing it and using it as a cop-out or as a tool against other people you know not so nice but if you can make friends with it and just be okay with it and learn the lesson from it that's really powerful so invite them in laugh say hey shame come on in malice come on in so good to see you and so you take their power away the power that they have over you diminishes if not it dissolves altogether totally poof gone how cool was that and to remember to be grateful for whoever comes because as Rumi says each has been sent as a guide from beyond so the guide is God is the universe and these guests are lessons for us because God loves us so much that God wants us to be our best selves our most authentic selves and how can we do that without learning a few things right because we don't know who we are as our most divine authentic self if we did we wouldn't be here we would be in a different lifetime or we would be merged with the with the source with the Sun with one you know so these are lessons in memory remembering what we already know and uncovering it. Um, You know, (laughs) I wanted to share this story. Um, One of my favorite children's books is called Owl at Home, and it's by Arnold Lobel. He does uh, Frog and the Toad stories, but he also has Owl. And I don't know if a lot of people know about Owl. Owl is great, but there's this story um, that's very much related to the Rumi poem, and I'm just gonna read it real quick because you'll you'll see why. So this is called The Guest. Owl was at home. How good it feels to be sitting by this fire, said Owl. It is so cold and snowy outside. Owl was eating buttered toast and hot pea soup for supper. Owl heard a loud sound at the front door. Who is out there banging and pounding at my door on a night like this, he said. Owl opened the door. No one was there. Only the snow and the wind. Owl sat near the fire again. There was another loud noise at the door. Who can it be, said Owl, knocking and thumping at my door on a night like this. Owl opened the door. No one was there. Only the snow and the cold. The poor old winter is knocking at my door, said Owl. Perhaps it wants to sit by the fire. Well, I will be kind and let the winter come in. Owl opened the door very wide. "'Come in, Winter,' said Owl. "'Come in and warm yourself for a while.' Winter came into the house. It came in very fast. A cold wind pushed Owl against the wall. Winter ran around the room. It blew out the fire in the fireplace. The snow whirled up the stairs and whooshed down the hallway. "'Winter!' cried Owl. "'You are my guest. This is no way to behave.' But Winter did not listen. It made the window shades flap and shiver. It turned the pea soup into hard green ice. Winter went into all the rooms of Owl's house. Soon everything was covered with snow. "'You must go, Winter,' shouted Owl. "'Go away right now!' The wind blew around and around. Then Winter rushed out and slammed the front door. "'Goodbye,' called Owl. "'And do not come back!' Owl made a new fire in the fireplace. The room became warm again. The snow melted away. The hard green ice turned back into soft pea soup. Owl sat down in his chair and quietly finished his supper. I <laughs> love that. Now, I don't know if this is the kind of house guest that you want, rummaging through all your stuff, making it wet and cold, but... That is an experience that Owl had. And instead of seething in frustration or anger at winter, he sat down in his chair and finished his supper. He experienced the things in the moment that they were happening. And when it was over, he let it go. Sure, he had some cleanup to do. But he just went back and had his supper. And that's what I want to invite you to consider. When you're thinking about your humanness as a guest house, to allow for the experiences to flow through you, learn whatever lessons you need to learn, and then... Continue on where you left off. Continue forward in your journey. And experience the growth as uncomfortable as it may seem. But yeah, so that was my little take on Rumi's poem, The Guest House. And I love how Owl at Home by Arnold Lobel comes into play here and so I'm going to close this episode with uh, a Hafez poem and I'd like for you to just consider the magic that can be found in these words from Rumi from Hafez from Owl himself um here we go Hafez And this is called, She Responded. The birds' favorite songs you do not hear, for their most flamboyant music takes place when their wings are stretched above the trees and they are smoking the opium of pure freedom. It is healthy for the prisoner to have faith that one day he will again move about wherever he wants, feel the wondrous grit of life, less structured, find all wounds, debts stamped, canceled, paid. I once asked a bird, how is it that you fly in this gravity of darkness? She responded, love lifts me. Oh, that's so beautiful. So beautiful to think about this metaphor of the birds flying high above us, so far above us that we don't hear their most flamboyant music. I mean, talk about high vibe, right? So it makes you wonder, what things are you missing out on by staying where you're at? What sounds, what songs might you have access to if you are stepping into a higher frequency, a higher vibration, into your higher self, what magic awaits for you up there? So I take this poem as an invitation to go explore that while you entertain the guests in your guest house, of course. (laughs) And so on that note, I close the episode with this the divine light in me bows to the divine light in you until next time namaste healing is so necessary for women writers of color whether we know it or not our traumas hold us back from expressing and becoming our truest selves how can we be more present to this how can we create new ways of understanding our hurts so that we can heal them and step into our life's purpose with radiance follow me on instagram for messages of healing and support as you walk this journey that brings you home to yourself. Find me at this handle at Surya Gyan Yogi, S-U-R-Y-A-G-I-A-N-Y-O-G-I. Or visit my website to learn more at suryagyan.com. Your best healed life starts now.